Good to be in church, ain't it? I think you could say amen, turn the lights out and go home, say it's been good. We're not going to, but it's good. Man, this ought to never get old, should it? It's good to go to a place where the Spirit is moving and there's liberty in the service to sing, testify, praise the Lord. What a great blessing that is. Amen. You know, it's a little bit of an unusual week, school revival during the morning, church revival at night. And Brother Morgan been preaching in the morning school. I've never spent a lot of time with Brother Morgan, but I've sure enjoyed my time with him. He's one of those men that the more, you, more time you spend with him, the more you like him. And just real. No airs about him. And I appreciate that. And he preached the house down this morning. I mean, tell you. I mean, if you want some good preaching, come in the morning, not at night. Come in the morning. That's where the good stuff is at. And I sure enjoyed it this morning. Look forward to it tomorrow morning as well. I am, I'm buying time. That's what I'm doing. I've switched this thing three or four times. And I think I'm going to go to 2 Kings 10 tonight. We'll know in a little bit whether I've got it right. We'll see. You pray for me. But Exodus, 2 Kings chapter 10. Let's preach about the church a little bit tonight. 2 Kings 10 and verse number 18. Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests, let none be wanting. For I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal, Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. If you're familiar at all with Old Testament history, you would recognize the names of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab, of course, was one of the most notoriously wicked kings of Israel, and his wife Hillary, I mean Jezebel, was, <laughs> was just, she was just as wretched. They were corrupt to the core. They introduced Baal worship in the land, and that evil influence reigned over that land for as long as they lived. But in 2 Kings chapter 9, God raised up a man named Jehu. Jehu would eventually become the king of Israel, but first the prophet of God had told him that God had selected him for the task of eliminating the Ahab dynasty. He was basically God's executioner. At this point, Ahab himself had been dead for 12 years. but One of his sons was on the throne. Jezebel was still living. And what 2 Kings chapter 9 and chapter 10 describes is a very bloody coup that is riddled, that ridded the nation of all that sympathized with Ahab and Jezebel. God had finally said, enough is enough. Now, when Jehu was anointed as king of Israel, he knew that he would have to strike fast and he would have to have the element of surprise on his side. Jehoram, that was the son of Ahab, he was the king of Israel. Ahaziah, he was the king of Judah, he was just as wicked. 
And it just so happened that both kings happened to be in the city of Jezreel taking a break from a battle. And as luck would have it, Jezebel was there in her summer home. And so Jehu immediately took a small band of soldiers and he drove furiously to Jezreel. And when he got to Jezreel, he assassinated Jehoram, he assassinated Ahaziah, he assassinated Jezebel, all in one fell swoop. Not bad for one day's work. Then Jehu knew that that was just the beginning. He has to eliminate any of the sons of Ahab who would one day want to challenge him for the throne. Jehoram had 70 sons. He had placed them all in Samaria, the most well-fortified city in the nation. And he had done a smart thing. Instead of putting them all in one place, he had placed all of those sons in different homes of different dignitaries. So how is Jehu going to storm Samaria, gather up those 70 sons in all those different places and execute them? So what Jehu did in chapter 9 is he sent a letter to the officials of Samaria basically challenging them to a fight. Now he's bluffing because he doesn't have a large army behind him, but they don't know that. They've probably heard the reports of him assassinating those two kings. I'm sure the report got bigger every time that it was told. So when Jehu sent word that he's coming for them next, they've got a choice It's either stand up and fight or surrender, and they decided to surrender. Jehu gave them the conditions of the surrender. Then you round up those 70 sons, chop their heads off, and send them to me. And so they did. The officials of Samaria rounded up those 70 sons, cut their heads off, put them in two baskets, and sent them to Jehu within 24 hours. Not bad for the second day on the job. Now, once this has been accomplished, Jehu then rides to Samaria to consolidate his reign. On his way to Samaria, he runs into a group of 42 people who are on their way to Jezreel. These are relatives and sympathizers of Ahaziah, the king of Judah that he had assassinated. They do not know that Ahaziah is dead. They don't know who Jehu is. But once Jehu finds out that they are sympathizers of Ahaziah, he has all 42 people killed right there. They have made an alliance with the house of Ahab. They have to share in the judgment of the house of Ahab. So it is when Jehu gets to Samaria, one of the most unusual stories in the Old Testament takes place. Ahab and Jezebel introduced Baal worship in the land. Samaria was filled with it. In fact, Ahab had built a temple there just for the worship of Baal. And Jehu is not just to rid the nation of of Ahab, he is to rid the nation of Baal worship, but how do you get rid of everybody who worships Baal? So when Jehu arrived in Samaria, he called for all Baal worshipers to come to the temple of Baal, and he did so claiming to be a worshiper of Baal himself. He said, I worship Baal more than all of you, let's have a special service and let's worship Baal together. And they thought that was a great thing. I mean, that's a great thing that the king is going to be a Baal worshiper. And so they all got into the same room together. And, and Jehu is very specific. I want all of the Baal worshippers. You all got to be here. And if you're a worshiper of Jehovah, you can't come. So he makes sure that everybody in that temple at one time 
It is only bell worshipers. It is all the bell worshipers. And when everybody is locked in that building, he has 80 soldiers come in with swords and just chop them all to pieces. Just, just kills them all. Then he takes the house of Baal, tears it down, and literally turns it into a public bathroom. That is the day that bell worship is eradicated out of the nation. Now, if you ever thought that the Bible was boring, you just need to read 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10. It is an exciting book. But you can't read everything in the Bible and so, say, well, that's what we ought to do. We don't read that and say, you know, we ought to go on a campaign. Let's go down and burn down all the mosques and the Hindu temples. That, that's not the application. We're not going to be like Jehu. This is not what God has told us to do. Our, our weapons are not carnal. We, we, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But, but this is Israel. This is God's chosen people. And this is the seed from which will come the Messiah. And some people read all of this killing and they get distressed over that. What you ought to get distressed over is, is the enormity of the sin of these people. Yes. Now, now, who is Baal? Who's Baal? I'm, I'm going somewhere. Baal was the earliest deity recognized by the Canaanite people. And, 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 and Baal was, was, was powerful supposedly by defeating other gods. And Baal lived in the underworld and once a year, Baal would come to earth and would bring rain for the harvest. And so Baal was worshiped as the conqueror of death and Baal was worshiped as the bringer of rain, the god of the harvest. And, and the worship of Baal involved the most vile practices. They literally burned babies alive. Sexual immorality, it was a profane thing. Baal is the most mentioned pagan god in the Bible. And because the Israelite nations did not keep separate from the nations around them, then that influence came into their land and Jehu was chosen by God to rid the nation of the Ahab dynasty, but you also rid the nation of Baal worship. It's exactly what he does in this story. Now tonight I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the story just a little bit differently. Because what I have in this story tonight is a group of people who have given themselves over to a false religion. They're caught in a false religion. And you may not recognize it if you are sheltered in a Baptist church all of your life. But we live in a very idolatrous land of false worship and false gods and false churches all around us. And it fascinates me to look at this story, this group of people, and to see how they responded to Jehu and the characters of false religion. Now, you've testified tonight, several of you, how thankful you are for your church. But if you have anything to compare it to, then you're really thankful for your church. Amen. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to look at a very strange story and I want to show you the contrast between that world out there that's stuck in false religion and you in true Christianity. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, if you would with me, in verse number 18. Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. If you want to write this down, the first thing that I would say is that false religion manipulates people with false professors. The people of Samaria do not know Jehu. 
He presents himself as a worshiper of Baal. In fact, he says, I am the biggest Baal worshiper of all. To whatever degree you love Baal, to whatever degree you sacrifice to Baal, I more. I'm going to ask you a question. Was that true? It's not. It's not. Because verse 19, now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all the servants, all the priests, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal, whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtlety to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. Back up to verse number 16. He said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord, for the Lord. Verse 17, when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. He didn't have zeal for Baal. He had zeal for the Lord. He's carrying out the commandments of the Lord. He wasn't a worshiper of Baal. In fact, there is no evidence at all that he was a worshiper of Baal. So, so he claims, he claims to be something, catch this, he's lying to him. Now, now, we can argue another day whether he should have used the ruse to trap them, and, 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 but he is setting them up, all right? And, and we can argue whether he's right or wrong, but he makes an outlandish claim to be a huge follower of Baal, and there is no evidence that any of it is true. In fact, if anybody would have done a little investigation, they would have found this does not pass the smell test. There's nothing in his history to indicate that he's ever done anything for Baal. And if you were a worshiper of Baal and somebody came along and said, I am the greatest Baal worshiper of all time, I would think you want to investigate it. I think you want to check it out. I would think that you want to ask a question. See if there's any evidence that this man has ever worshiped a Baal. Look at verse 20. Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal, and they proclaimed it. Jehu sent through all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to the other day. Believed it. These people who are involved in a false religion have bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker, and they are proclaiming a feast to celebrate with this new brother in bell worship. All they needed was a claim. All they needed was somebody to say something, and we will believe it. And false religion is full of people who have swallowed some claim of some huckster and they didn't investigate it and they didn't check it out with the Bible and they don't wonder if it's true or not. No, people who are in false religion are prone to believe every false claim that is made. I, I don't have to go through the outlandish claims that are made by false religion, but there are some people that whatever is claimed by some TV preacher or some priest, they just believe it. How do you explain educated people who literally believe that a priest can take a wafer and literally turn it into the flesh of Jesus Christ? That is an outlandish claim. 
how do you how do you explain sophisticated people who believe that they are climbing their way to godhood like the Mormons? That is an outlandish claim. How do you explain Hindus who believe that reincarnation they're going to come back as a bug or a tree or something other? That's an outlandish claim. But the whole world is deceived by Satan, and the whole world is blind to the gospel, and, and he wants some religion to tell some lie, and millions of people will believe that. I'm going to tell you something. Christianity is different. You, you're not that way. We don't just accept any lie that's, that, that's told. No, no. We accept the authority of the scripture and preach anything you want to. But I'm going to hold the Bible up and say, show me a chapter and show me a verse. If you're going to show me some truth, if you're going to show me some revelation, then somebody ought to stick a Bible under your nose and say, show me where that is in the word of God. In fact, even when I run into a verse that contradicts something that I already believe, it's not the Bible that's wrong. It's me that's wrong. You ought to get into the practice of taking everything that you hear, everything that you hear, and be like the Bereans and search the scriptures and see whether those things be so or not. People in false religions are, they're manipulated by false professors. Proverbs 14 and 15 says that the simple believe every word. Or the prudent man looketh well to his going. I think you've got to be careful what you listen to. You've got to be careful what you watch. I'm going to tell you, if you watch TBN, if you watch Christian television, you watch it long enough, you'll start believing that's good preaching. You'll start believing that's spirit-filled. You can be so enamored with the pulpit skills of T.D. Jakes and don't even know that he doesn't believe in the Trinity like you do. You've you got to be careful. There was a big debate several months ago over Beth Moore, the woman preacher. And somebody asked John MacArthur what he thought about Beth Moore, and he said, I think she ought to go home. Now, I'm going to tell you, I disagree with a lot of things with John MacArthur. I did agree with that. I I, I did agree with that. And and, and listen, we have people sitting in our Baptist churches that don't know any better that a woman is not a God-called preacher, and they'll watch them on TV and get their little devotional, Bible study devotionals, and and read their books. Or or you can watch Jimmy Swaggart and think he's filled with the Holy Ghost and and forget that he speaks in tongues and believes you can lose your salvation. The simple believe every word. You can sit in a Baptist church and hear great preaching, but what you listen to outside these walls, Be careful that you're not exposing yourself to be manipulated by false professors. I won't get on my hobby horse tonight of CCM, but if I did, if I did, I think it's destroying the power in our Baptist churches. We have teenagers listening to Hillsong, and you don't even know the philosophy. You don't know the doctrine behind that. The doctrine is faulty. The the philosophy is not biblical. The music is is sensual. The performers have no Christian testimony. I am. Somebody sent me. Somebody sent me a YouTube clip just a couple of weeks ago of of a popular Southern gospel group singing a brand new song. It's a Gaither vocal band, and um, not 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 real bastions of fundamentalism. But somebody sent me the latest clip of one of their songs and they wanted me to hear the lyrics, Jesus is everywhere. And so I listened to it. On a winding street in Venice, on the sunny side of town, church bells ring out, so we went in and sat down. We forgot that it was Sunday. The priest was hard to understand. 
But we heard the words for Jesus holding wafers in our hand. Jesus is in the water. Jesus is in the wine. Jesus is standing next to us in the noisy Starbucks line. No, he's not everywhere. It's blatant heresy is what it is. He's not in the water. He's not in the wine. He's not in that wafer. And it's really bad. It's really bad when they can write a song and the Baptist and the Catholic both like it. There's something wrong with that. And I just say tonight that you ought to be careful what you subject yourself to. False professors and false doctors and emotional shows and women preachers and heretical preachers. And and you ought to be careful about that. I'm moving on. The big news, big religious news the last couple of months, you know, Kanye West got saved. I I didn't know who Kanye West was. He got saved. Well, hallelujah. And then, then preached in Joel Osteen's church. Probably some of the best preaching they've heard in a long time, never, but be that as it may. Somebody said, you believe Kanye West? I said, I don't know. If he did, he'd get out of the rap industry. You gonna buy his Christian album? No. No. Look, look what it says here. I, I, I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. Verse number 19, Jehu did it in subtlety. I want to tell you, the false preacher doesn't just come out and say, by the way, I want you to know before the beginning of this broadcast, I am a false preacher. And what I'm going to tell you for the next 30 minutes is heresy, but I want you to be seated anyway. He's not going to tell you that. The hucksters don't get on and say, I'm getting rich off of your money, but you send me an offering anyway. Right? No, he does it subtly. He has to trick you into believing that he's a man of God, that he's sincere, that he has honorable. Listen, the Jehovah's Witness that knocks on your door this spring and will tell you that he wants to do a Bible study and he's carrying a King James Bible, he's lying to you. He's lying to you. And there are people who used to sit in a Bible-believing church just like this one and they listened to sound doctrine, but they got sucked in by some ecumenical movement, some false hucksters, what happened, and little by little they got drawn away and there are churches that used to be strong, separate churches, but now little by little some charlatan in the pulpit is pulling them over to a more contemporary way of work. He doesn't come in and say, I want to ruin this church. No, he doesn't. Subtle is what it is. False religion manipulates people with false professors. They don't believe anything. I'll show you the second thing tonight. False religion must have aids to worship. Look at verse 21. Jehu sent through all Israel, all the worship of Baals came. So there was not a man left that came not. They came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to another. He sent it to them that was over the vestry. Bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. House is packed full of Baal worshipers. And Jehu comes in with matching robes. He has a special vestments for everybody to wear. And this is going to be part of this special feast. Now, a vestment is a clerical robe that is worn during a ritual. So it represents a ritual in their worship of Baal. By the way, the verb vestments, vestry, is the only time that word's ever found in your Bibles right there. So the only time that you read about clerical robes, I'm sure glad your choir don't wear robes. Thank God for that. 
But the only time you read about these vestments, it has to do with Baal worship. And it's not a new thing because there is a man who is over the vestry. So I don't know if Jehu made these special garments, but, but they're already there and they use these vestments in their worship. And, and so Jehu has a man bring them out. Everybody puts on their garments and they get ready to worship Baal. And this is a big part of their worship. You just can't imagine worshiping Baal without putting on our, our robes. We've got to have our, have our vestments. Now some of y'all can relate to that because you came out of a religion where a preacher or priest wore a special garment. Maybe you had a priest who had a long robe and a large cross around his neck and he came in swinging, you know, incense and burning candles and all. Maybe you went to a church where there were statutes on the wall or everything was a ritual. It's what we call aids to worship. But did you know that Christianity doesn't have to have aids and props and candles and gimmicks to worship? No, no, Jesus said in John 4, God is the spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Can you imagine, can you imagine somebody coming into Bible Baptist church tonight and it was the first time they'd ever been in a Baptist church? You would be culture shocked for them. You bring somebody in here, they've never been in a Baptist church in their life, they've been in some kind of false religion, Catholicism, whatever it is, and they come in here and they start looking around, and here's their question, where's the candles? Where's where's the incense? Where where, where are the statues? But see, you in a church tonight, you know we don't need those things. We have the truth, and we have the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we heard truth in song, and God got in it, and that's about all that we need. You don't have to have aids and gimmicks in order. Your props do not bring you closer to God. In Judges chapter 18, there's a pitiful little man named Micah there. He's got ephods and idols. And one day some men come and they steal everything. They steal this ephod, they steal his idols, they steal his priest. And pitiful little Micah, here's what he says. He says, you've taken away my gods which I made and the priest, you've gone away. What have I more? What am I gonna do now? I don't have my little preacher. I don't have my gods. I don't have anything. So, so, so what am I going to do? And if your religion is wrapped up in a ritual, if it's wrapped up in some robe, if it is wrapped up in some candle, then what are you going to do when somebody steals that away? However, you and I know the Holy Spirit, you can't take him out of my heart. And nobody can steal the word of God that you have memorized. And, and nobody can take away the joy from knowing Jesus. And I don't have to have a drum step to get me stirred up. And I don't have to have 30 minutes of choruses to get me riled up. No, I don't have I have to have a light show and a praise band and a dynamic speaker. I tell you, I can worship him at home. I can worship him on the job. I can worship him in church. I don't need props in order to worship. First Samuel chapter four, the Israelites and the Philistines are at battle. They always were. And it seems like the Philistines were always the nemesis, always attacking, always pillaging. And in this particular battle, Israel wasn't winning. In fact, they lost 3,000 men. So they backed up to regroup for a little bit. And why are we losing? Why isn't God on our side? Why God, and somebody spoke up and said, I'll tell you what we need. We need the ark. We need the ark of the covenant. That's what we need. If we had the ark in our midst, then, then we'd win. And somebody went to Shiloh and they brought that ark down there. And when they put that ark in the middle of the battle, you know what happened? They lost more. In fact, by that time the battle was over, 30,000 men of Israel died. And they had insult to injury. The Philistines stole the ark. I mean, we put the ark, what happened? 
Now, that's a perplexing thing. Why didn't the ark work for them? And I believe that the fundamental law, flaw in their logic was that the Ark of the Covenant is a good luck charm for us. If we just have that in our midst, it would guarantee us victory. What they needed was God on their side, not a good luck charm. They didn't pray to God. They weren't trusting God. They didn't cry out to God. They wanted a lucky charm. But I want to tell you something, that a relationship is more important than a relic. A mark of false religion is there must be an aid, there must be a relic, there must be a prop. And I think that you have to be careful even in our Baptist churches. Well, we don't rely more upon our professionalism and manipulation than we do the Spirit of God. We don't have candles and incense and idols. But I've seen some that know how to prop up or use an emotional song service or help high pressure. We have become professionals in the pulpits and we've lost the power of God. We've become more showmen than spirit-filled preachers. Why don't you just preach the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, and let the Holy Ghost do what it wants to with it. I tell you that true Christianity, be thankful tonight that you are not stuck in some false worship somewhere where you have to have some prop, some relic, some gimmick. No, I tell you, true Christianity, it does not demand aids. Worship. Show you a third thing tonight. I, I, I'm hurrying. Look at verse 23. False religion manipulates people. It, it must have aids to worship. False religion mistakes everybody as a believer. Look at verse 23. Jehu went and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal and said unto the worshipers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord but the worshipers of Baal only. Now, now Jehu goes through this very elaborate ruse to make sure that we get all of the worshipers of Baal in this temple. But here's the second part of it. He then goes in and he says, start questioning everybody and make sure there's no worshipers of Jehovah in here. Make sure there are no true believers in here. And here's the reason why. He knew that religion is accepting of anybody. They'll accept anybody without any discernment. Ecumenicalism will never offend anyone. Everyone is welcome under our big tent. Some of these bell workers, they don't care what you believe. Just everybody come in and let's set aside our differences. We have a growing church at our church. You do as well. And we want our church to grow. So our people work hard to invite people to pass out tracts and we want people to come. And sometimes we wonder what we could do to get more people to come, what would get people to come back. And we can come up with a lot of ideas. Most of those ideas would require us to accept just anything that walks through the doors. If we moved on our position on the King James Bible, if I never preached on separation again, if we lowered the bar, changed the music, never mentioned holiness. But we're not ecumenical. We're not moving just to draw a crowd. It's not what we're about. You know, 2 Corinthians, Paul said, I'm having a fellowship with the world. The world. You know, I, I love spending time with your pastor, Brother Ricky Grabley. We have good fellowship together. And in order for us to have good fellowship, neither one of us has to move very much. We pretty much agree on a lot of things. I'm sure there's things that we disagree on, but, but nothing that would break fellowship, I'm sure. And, and so, so I don't have to move. He don't have to move to fellowship. But how far would you have to move in order to fellowship with the world? Amen. I'm going to tell you, if you have fellowship with the world tonight, 
Either you or the world moved. And it wasn't the world. And Jehu went to great pains to make sure that no servants of God have come into the house of Baal because he knew that false religion will accept anybody with no questions asked. False religion is willing to make any move to get more people. And when you see a church trying to accommodate the world, you better stay away. We had an independent Baptist church in our area that for a long time was a strong, separated church. Young guy comes in, he's doing his thing. Last year, they had a big community day, big love your community day, which is fine. On their website, they listed the businesses that sponsored the big community day. And on their church website was Olive Bar and Grill and St. Rose of Lima Catholic Church. I'm not, I'm not hooking up with the bar or the Catholic Church for anything. For anything. And, and we've, had, we've had people come to our church, and we've had to ask them to leave. We've had people come to our church that I knew was a troublemaker. Knew they were a troublemaker, meet them in the foyer. Thank you for coming, making this your last service. You have to do that sometime. We're not, we're not going there. We, we, listen, we leave Baptists on our name because I don't want people coming to our church under false pretenses. We put our doctrinal statement on our website so you can read it before you come. You might not want to come. I'm just trying, and listen, we're welcoming, we, we want to be, we want to grow, but we're not just going to accept anything that walks through the door claiming to be a Christian. And, and false religion goes a long way to just accept anybody. Yeah. A lot of churches have moved a long way to accept yes, anybody. I, I, I'm done, I'm done. Look at verse 24. False religion has no militancy. In verse 24. They went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Jehu appointed fourscore men without. And said, if any of the men whom I brought into your hands escape, he that letteth him go, his life should be for the life of him. It came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and slay them, let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword, and the guard and the captain cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. The house is full of bell worshipers that are all clothed exactly alike. Jehu gets 80 men, orders them to go in and just kill them all. Let nobody escape. If you let somebody escape, you'll pay with your life. And at the end of the day, in this strange story, every person who worshiped Baal has been killed with the sword. The images have been destroyed. And in verse 27, they mounted a drop house. And to this day, they literally turned it into a public bathroom. The house of Baal became the place where people would bring their waste. I'm going to read between the lines, but there was something in this that you don't read. With all of this going on, it was seen that one of those people would raise up a finger and resist. It would seem, it was seen, maybe they did, but Scripture doesn't mention any resistance as their religion is tore to the ground. Do you know there's people out there tonight that hate your church? They hate your God and they hate your Christianity. And they'd be happy to see this place burned to the ground and they're turned into a waste pile. And we don't have physical threats, but we do have people that want to corrupt your children. They want to tear your marriage apart. They want to corrupt your church. Here's the question. You gonna do anything to put up a fight? See, too many Christians, they want to fit into the world. But when the world starts pushing back, 
It's sad how few Christians will fight back. Where's the militancy? Where's the soldier? Somebody has to love God enough to stand up and say, not here. Somebody has to take a stand. Somebody has to push back. Somebody has to say, you're not tearing this down. You're not taking old-time religion away. That is the difference in false religion and true Christianity. If you were a bell worshiper and you knew somebody was plotting to tear it all down, wouldn't you try to stop it somehow? Wouldn't you try to rise up in anger somehow? If somebody's trying to take away your church and your Bible and your faith and corrupt your children, wouldn't you try to stop it somehow? You're not doing that. You're not bringing that in here. You're not corrupting this church. You're not doing, you're not telling my children that. No, somebody better stand up and say, you're not bringing that in here. You have a young generation tonight that I think wants to keep going in what you have given them. There's an enemy that wants to take it away from them. And may you and I stand up tonight, testify and thank God what he's given us. But may you and I stand up tonight with militancy and tell that world, you are not taken away. What God gave us. We'll fight if necessary. Do you, you know the song? You know the song, The Fight Is On? You know that song? Do you know that was a Presbyterian song? They don't sing anymore. You know that song, Armed with Christian Soldiers? Do you know that was a Methodist song? They don't sing anymore. I wonder what songs one day you and I will never sing anymore. Don't lose your militancy. You know, this is revival week. supposed to be the week we all get right and let the Lord clean all the sin out of our life. And I'm not sure what this means to you, but you ought to be thankful you're part of a true church tonight. Not some false religion. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you let, be careful that TV preacher. Shelter your family from the noise of this world, the heresies being spewed out. What a blessing to have a church to sit your children in and know they'll hear nothing but the truth. By a spirit-filled man of God. It could be tonight. I don't know. But it could be tonight that tonight is just raw, raw night. Let's thank God for the church. But it could be tonight there's somebody here. You've already felt the seduction of a different way. Getting a little tired of old-time religion and all the shout. The hard preaching of the separation. Boy, when I turn 18, 21, when I move out, Maybe secretly in your heart, you've been looking over there at their excitement and the big band. Why don't you just get plugged in here? Thank God for what you've given me. Hold your preacher up in prayer. Hold your preacher's wife up in prayer. You need this church tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for it tonight. I, I don't know tonight if what I preached is, I, I don't know tonight, Lord. My heart went back and forth. But just a testimony of thanks for the church. I look back over my life with preachers that you put in my life and churches I was a member of. I sure wouldn't be standing here tonight if it wasn't the influence of those old men, those Sunday school teachers. That church week in and week out, never wavering. And I'm grateful for it tonight. I'm grateful for this church, Brother Gravely. Lord, the spirit that is here, there's a devil do anything he could to destroy it. But may there be a body of people that rises up and said, not here. You're not tearing this down. Thank you tonight. That I'm not stuck in Catholicism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism. That I wasn't raised all of my life in some cult. 
don't know any better. From earliest age, I put parents in my life that taught me the truth, read the Bible to me, led me to Jesus, took me to church. Man, never take it for granted tonight. Thank you for your church tonight, Brother Graham, when you come.